This is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. Second hour of Seattle Sports at Night right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Thank you so much for choosing to spend your Thursday here with us. Curtis Rogers and the quarterback Jake Heaps holding it down. That's right. Had an opportunity to chat with KJ Wright in the first hour of tonight's show. If you missed it, the podcast page is there for you, 710sports.com. That'll be going up uh, shortly after the end of the show here tonight. We're on with you till 9 o'clock here on 710, so uh, just settle in. I mean, you got nowhere to go, right? We've right. we still got an hour left, uh, an hour of power right here on Seattle Sports at night. But a uh, flurry of moves the Seahawks have made over the last for 24 to 48 hours in free agency, obviously the re-signing of K.J. Wright. Michael Kendricks back in the fold for another season. D.J. Fluker back for multiple seasons. Mike Yapati, the veteran who I think Seahawks fans are incredibly familiar with with his time in the 49ers organization, his time with the Cardinals. Jason Myers, the kicker, tagging Frank Clark. Can't forget about that, even though he hasn't signed that tag yet. But the question of the moment right now, best move made by the Seahawks so far in free agency. The Coors Light text line is there for you. 710-710, that's the number to text. What has been that best move so far? Is it the re-signing of K.J. Wright, the linebacking core, getting that figured out? Or how about getting that offensive line figured out with D.J. Fluker and Mikey Potty? Even though it's not J.R. Sweezy, as a lot of people, I think, had hoped, it's still somebody that has a track record in the NFL of, of top-level play when healthy. Uh, so who knows how that could shake out. But, Jake, you've had your eye on what the Seahawks have been doing yeah. ever since the NFL said, go, you can sign. Everybody can put pen to paper now. What move has the Seahawks made that stands out to you as the best of the best moves so far? Well, can I say that when free agency initially hit, that legal tampering period, that first wave, it felt like the Seahawks were just missing out on the party, right? Like, we all sat back and we're like, oh, man, these cool deals are happening, these big market deals. Oh, this guy's gone, this guy's. And it's hard to sit back and watch. But then again, you realize that Pete and John know what they're doing. Right, They came in and they made deals at a value price that go directly to their needs. Um, and, and so to me, the, the biggest or the best thing that they did so far is signing, re-signing DJ Fluker and signing Mike Upati. And the reason why is because last year your big emphasis as a team was to recapture your offensive identity, which was to run the football, be physical in the run game, use that play-action pass, and use Russell Wilson to be that that tip of your dagger uh, to get get in the end zone. And when we heard that J.R. Sweezy was lost out, then there was that opportunity where you just didn't know what was going on with D.J. Fluker. It left you in doubt, and it also in flux of, okay, well, you spent all this time and this emphasis talking about the run game and now you're going to let the two biggest factors of the reason why you were successful in the run game go that doesn't make a whole lot of sense so the thing was with J.R. Sweezy is that he got way above market value than what they were anticipating and and certainly what I was anticipating that J.R. Sweezy could pull in this market uh good for him 
they were able to to keep DJ Fluker, who is a big-bodied, nasty, physical uh, presence in that run game. And Mike Upati is is the kind of the same thing, man. He's a great run blocker and very adequate. Uh, in the past game when he is fully healthy, and that is the biggest question, and that's why they were able to get him on such a good deal. So to me, it's just continuing to establish who you are and sticking to that, and and that is a big reason why I'm pointing to the offensive line. You're getting a lot of love on the text line. As I mean, who doesn't love Jake? But text from the 206 saying, uh, DJ Fluker bringing the juice makes me stoked. 509 says, definitely DJ Fluker. Keeping the consistency for that line is key. And that's that's an incredible point right there. We haven't had this much... We haven't had this much consistency in terms of bringing guys back from year to year yeah. with this offensive line as we're going to have heading into 2019. Bring back 80% of the starting offensive line. That's a great point. I mean, it's been, I can't think of the last time that that's happened. It's been forever since that's happened. So, you know, bringing back DJ Fluker, he gave the Seahawks offensive line uh, a bit of a nasty streak, mm-hmm. uh, an attitude. And he's somebody that I think is is incredible to have in your locker room. Someone that can get the juice going uh, out of out of other guys uh, who who may not uh, who may not be as jacked up as him for sure. For me, when I look at what the Seahawks have been able to do so far in free agency, two moves stand out to me, and they may not be the sexiest of moves okay. so far. Uh, number one, the most, the best move that they have made so far is staying away from bad contracts. Okay. They have not signed anybody that they are going to regret two, three, four years down the road. That they have, you know, and, and they had a lot of cap space to work with this off season, which can be tempting when you see guys like Landon Collins sitting out there, who's twenty five years old and has made it to three Pro Bowl teams, has been an All Pro in the past. Like that's tempting to saddle to saddle up with that guy for four or five seasons the way Washington did. That's tempting to do. But the Seahawks right now, they've held ground and they've let the market kind of come to them rather than them saying, We've got all this money to spend. We gotta spend it now. If we don't spend it, like then it's a complete waste. <laughs> like that's not how you that's not how you do it. And right. so for the Seahawks staying away from those bad contracts, which I think Landon Collins has a good shot at living up to the the money amount that Washington gave him, but as we've seen with the Seahawks organization, guys who are approaching that third contract, yeah, they got burned a little bit by the Cam Chancellor signing a couple of seasons ago. They learned from that, and they're like, you know what? We don't need that. We don't need that. And I think it speaks to... John Schneider and Pete Carroll saying, we believe in our ability to develop guys through the draft better than bringing in guys from outside of the organization and having them adapt to our system. Yeah. And having that belief in themselves and and how it played out last year where a lot of people criticized the draft class that they brought in. Why would you spend a first-round pick on a running back? Why are you doing this kind of move right here when you should have zigged while everybody else was zagging? But... I think the Seahawks are now getting back to what made them the team that they were, and that was through player development. That was through getting guys in on those rookie contracts and building them up within the first couple of years that they are in the system and making them the best players they can be. We saw it with Justin Coleman, where 
yeah, he wasn't a free agent signing, but he was a trade, and they were able to develop him, build him up. And when the market said, you know what, he's going to be way too expensive for us to keep, they let him go. And because of that, they're going to get a compensatory round pick in 2020, likely. Uh, and I think the Seahawks are, are doing a great thing by staying away from those bad contracts. The number two yeah. move. Okay. Number two. Is kicker. Okay. Jason he, Myers. I, I see all you textures out there showing the kicker some love. Kicker, Kickers are people, too. I'm with you. I'm they with are. you, Curtis. And, and you said best move. So I threw myself out there at one. Kicker was two for me as well. Yeah. Jason Myers, a pro bowler who the Seahawks missed out on a year ago when they cut him in training camp in favor of Sebastian Janikowski. It's amazing. They learned their lesson in all of that, and now they're finally starting to, I guess, invest via the right. via special teams. Well, I think they learned the hard way, right? When Hauschka had a down year, his final year with the Seahawks, they saw that, okay, maybe Hauschka is, is losing his juice and on his way out. Uh, they let him go into free agency, and since then it's been musical chairs the last three years, and it's kind of cost him some games. So to get Jason Myers uh, and sign him to a long-term contract I think is a great move by the Seahawks. The one thing that I'm interested to watch, however, is his first three years in Jacksonville. He was around 80% as a kicker. His rookie year, he was 86%. 2016, 79%. And in 2017, he was 73%. Mm. Next, The following year, when the Seahawks cut him, he goes to the Jets, and now he jumps up to almost 92% being an all-pro and a Pro Bowl player. So if we are getting that, the New York Jets, Jason Myers, I'm fired up. But I also am concerned that this is only one year that we've seen him play at an elite level. So we'll wait and see. But I think it's a great opportunity for the Seahawks to land a kicker and and put some real value into that position because it means so much with the style that this team wants to play. They want to keep things close. They want to play. Uh, you know, they want to run the ball, keep uh, the uh, the possession arrow on their side and play tough defense and let that kicker win the game. So uh, Jason Myers, hopefully, I am hoping, is that next elite kicker that we had for many years with, with Steven Hauschka. You bring up his past performance where this last year was far and away his best season. His extra point percentage, even as good of a year he had this last year, it was a career high, but it was still 90.9%, not... 100%, which you were kind of hoping for with extra points. Yeah, they moved it back a couple of seasons ago. But I think this is a guy who he just needed a franchise to, I guess, take a shot on him. The Jets did. And then like he was able to instill that confidence that the Jets had in him. And now he's coming back to the Seahawks with his payday in tow. And I think he's going to have a uh, an opportunity to really show that last year wasn't a fluke, and now all of a sudden he's going to be able to kick with confidence. Uh, something that I think every Seahawks kicker since Stephen Hauschka, and it wasn't Stephen Hauschka right at the end; it was Stephen Hauschka probably about two years before the end. Uh, it's been a while since the Seahawks have had great, solid kicking. I would say around the 2014-2015 season. I don't know about you, but I'm ready for just anybody who can put it through the uprights consistently. Yeah, and that's and that's the big thing that we need is is that. And so uh, I, I look at this, and um, we are 
in desperate need of kicker. They tried to fill that need. And now you look at all these other signings, again, they just go to the needs. They don't go to the wants. And when you're talking about those bad contract situations, they are avoiding them like the plague because you have to remember you have Russell Wilson's contract. You have Bobby Wagner's contract extension. Frank Clark, you're still trying to figure out what he's what that is going to uh, come to, whether it's uh, franchise tag or multi-year deal, and Jaron Reed as well coming down the pipe. So you've got some big contracts that you have to be careful of, not getting involved in these other big contracts to muddy the waters and able to re-sign some of those, those big cornerstones of your franchise. So uh, I, I think it's always fun to watch how the Seahawks maneuver going into every offseason. Coming up in about 20 minutes in Big If True, is George Fant ready to challenge for a starting spot on the Seahawks' offensive line? We talked that in about 20 minutes, but coming up next, the Huskies. Have they done enough to make the NCAA tournament? Also, 710 ESPN announcing a partnership with Coaching Boys into Men. You've heard from every single show so far today, but you haven't heard from us. We get into that next as well. Curtis Rogers and the quarterback, Jay Keeps, right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacy Rost. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio on 710 ESPN Seattle. Coming up in about 15 minutes, is George Fant ready to challenge for a starting spot on the offensive line? What? Yeah, I know. Okay. He's he's not the jumbo tight end, I guess, as much as the end. Plus, got a nice little raise last or yesterday, so we'll get into... Uh, just what his future is. So do you think that because he got a raise now, do you think that that means that they're expecting more out of him? And you mean not just blocking, but having more of a feature in the passing game? I think that comes with any kind of raise is that okay. your bosses expect more out of you. Okay. To, yeah, I was just curious. Yeah, I think that's kind of how it goes with George Fant. Uh, so we'll be talking that uh, coming up in a little bit here. But uh, you've heard it uh, all day if you've – been able to listen to 710 ESPN at any point. Every single show has been able to spotlight uh, a new organization or an organization that's new to us that we have chosen to partner with here at 710 ESPN Seattle. It's an organization called Coaching Boys in to Men. It's an organization devoted to empowering coaches to teach the value of respect, integrity, and leadership to bring an end to violence against women. You can uh, get more information and get involved by texting coach. To 710 710. That's coach to 710 710. And Jake, you are somebody that has played football at every kind of level imaginable high school, college, in the NFL. Obscure pros. Exactly. What, you, the, what was it? The FXFL? That's right. That's, that's not a real no, thing. No one's going to know what that thing. was. I thought it was a real thing, but I guess, you know, at some point when you're playing in a minor league baseball stadium in Coney Island, and maybe you start to question things a little. But an organization like this where they're dedicating themselves to uh, high school and, and middle school athletes sort of getting their minds to think in a different way that I think a lot of people who, who grow up in that athletic environment where you're – sort of lauded as these, you know, local legends and that can get away with anything. Whereas, you know, they're teaching them to use that platform that they've been given of people who are leaders in their community as people who are known throughout their towns to 
use that platform in a way to impact positive change in their community yeah. in when it comes to how women are treated and how just people are treated uh, when it comes to, like they say, respect, integrity, and, and leadership. For you as someone who grew up playing football at, at the high school and middle school level, how much would a program like this have you know, helped out you and your teammates uh, had it existed back in those days? Yeah, I, I look at it from a bunch of different lenses is – I think more than anything, it just helps prepare you for these types of situations. Um, you know, I'll never forget, you know, sitting down and talking with my mom and my dad about, you know, hey, because in high school in WIA, you can get suspended for an entire year just being caught being in the presence of alcohol. Not even that you are drinking or consuming alcohol, but that you're in the same room uh, with alcohol. And, you know, talking about, um, talking about what do you do in those situations. And, and there were a couple times where I it was in those situations and I knew how to handle it. So the, the topic of uh, domestic violence and domestic abuse and all those things are extremely important and also sexual assault. I think more than anything that you coach these young men into learning how to handle these situations, what it means to truly be a man, uh, and be a leader of change and to not put yourself in difficult positions and also to respect women uh, to the highest uh, to the highest uh, integrity. And, and when you see things wrong, what do you do? Because there's such a culture of, and especially in a locker room, of protecting your own, right? Like, that's my boy, and I'm going to have his back no matter what. Um, and, and, and just in general, from an athlete's perspective, I think, uh, you know, females get the wrong rap in terms of they're out to get the athlete when in a lot of cases, the athlete themselves from a man's perspective are, is taking advantage of certain situations. That's not the case always, but, uh, it seems to happen quite a bit. And, and so I think these, uh, you know, program like coaching, uh, coaching young men on all these different topics just prepares them uh, to be better men overall and also to help them prevent certain situations that they either that they see or that they're a part of. Um, and and I, this is one that is um, awesome uh, for these guys to, you know, be the difference of change, be the agent of change and the voice of change. And I think what's an incredible thing about this curriculum is that it's not from a parent. And I think kids, a lot of times, I'm very much in this group, when your parent tells you something, it doesn't, I don't think it rings as true as, say, a coach or a teacher when they tell you something. Uh, And so for coaches to be able to uh, plug into their students and their athletes and, and to be able to say like hey like I respect what you're doing on the field but like let's let's figure out what it is that you need to correct off the field right I think that's gonna ring true a lot more to students uh, throughout you know, well, it's a program here in Seattle, but uh, hopefully this is something that can catch like wildfire. Yeah, I think this is also something that uh, I believe will catch like wildfire, especially on the college campuses. This is this is a huge issue yeah. on college campuses. In high school, I, I've heard about it and I've seen it. Um, it definitely is present, uh, but it's more in college. And I've actually, through the three programs that I was at, unfortunately, I have had teammates that were accused 
of sexual assault um, in different degrees, and some were convicted, and some were some were um, you know uh, tra- charges were dropped. And either way, being in that situation isn't good, right? And being in this, going through this program allows these players or or these football players in particular uh, to understand and recognize potential bad situations and to remove themselves from those situations. So I think, uh, one, helping those individuals make better decisions, but two, also setting the standard of, look, this isn't okay. I'm not okay with this, and I'm not okay just being a um, an observer, right, Have voicing an opinion and feel empowered to do so. I think so many times we get in these situations where we feel like we're abnormal, right? Like this is going on around me, I'm seeing it, and this must be normal. This must be the cool thing. And realizing that no, no, it's not cool, it's not right, and that I should step up, and that is really the cool thing at the end of the day. Uh, and so I love the fact that we are partnered with this program and that this program is going to be spread throughout the state of Washington. And I really hope that we can make a big difference uh, in our community and that it can spread nationwide. Absolutely. That is Coaching Boys Into Men. Uh, for more information to get involved, text COACH to 710-710. In Las Vegas right now, the Huskies, they advanced to the semifinals of the Pac-12 tournament, barely escaping the clutches of defeat. USC giving them a a fight for their lives. 78-75 today. Uh, the Huskies will face the winner of Colorado, or well, they'll face Colorado tomorrow as the Buffaloes beat Oregon State today. You look at the Huskies and their performance over the last month or so, not as smooth sailing as it once was in the Pac-12. Yeah, you're not kidding. I, I, I look at this team, and I love the individuals on this team. I love the way that they play together. I love Coach Hop. I love the culture that he has built around this team, right? And it's a winning formula. Ultimately, this is going to be the formula that helps keep Washington at the top of the Pac-12. Not when it's just down, but around when these when the uh, flagship schools come back to life as well, right? Um, and and so the the only problem is is when I watch, you know, because I went to Kansas. I'm a big Kansas basketball fan. And when they play, they're up and down. But at different points in time in certain games, they are able to shut the door, right? Games are close. It's heated. It's contentious. Uh, it's a hostile environment. But then they are able to close the door and just run away with it. The Huskies over the last month have not been able to show that ability. Uh, they're going to keep it close. They're going to fight. They're going to be gritty. But if you want to be a great team and you want to take it to the next level, you have to have that killer instinct as a team when you've got a chance to step on their throat that you're going to do it and run with it. And they just have been able, they haven't been able to do that, uh, keeping teams like USC and the Pac-12 tourney way too close. And in my opinion, Curtis, I think the, the margin for error is razor thin for them to get into the NCAA tournament. I agree, and I think it stems a large part of it from St. Mary's beating Gonzaga in the WCC tournament. St. Mary's was a team that probably wasn't going to get into the tournament unless they had won the WCC and had captured that automatic bid. They go and do that, which then takes away an at-large bid because we all know Gonzaga is getting into the tournament. They're probably going to be a number one seed at the end of the day, but they're not getting the WCC automatic bid, which would have opened up the possibility for multiple Pac-12 teams to get in 
We still don't know how ASU is going to uh, perform. If they can make it all the way to the title game, uh, then they've got a good shot of, of getting into the tournament. They beat UCLA tonight. Um, but the Huskies right now, their last three wins combined nine points, a one-point victory over Stanford, an overtime victory against Oregon State, which was their biggest margin of victory. Right. And then today, uh, just skating by USC 78-75, if USC gets a good look in their final possession, who knows how that one finishes. But you mentioned the, the Huskies' inability, I think, to close teams out over the last month or so. I think that's that's pretty much the deal. That's why they are where they're at and why I think they still have a little bit of work to do before we can – you know, take a deep breath or, yeah. or take or or exhale yeah. on the Huskies right now because you can't you can't be letting Stanford hang around. You can't let right. USC hang around. Those are two teams that you know aren't winning programs right now, and you're letting them off the hook a, a yeah. few times. Well, you can you can sit here and say, yeah, they're the Pac-12 champs, but look uh, at twenty-five and seven record. That should get you solidified in the NCAA tournament. With the way that this conference is right now, the state of the conference, that's not good enough to just win close in the last month and have a 25-7 to record, right? You've got to win big. And I'm not talking about, you know, they've got to win by 20 points, even by, you know, uh, even by 12 points. But at some point, you have to be able to show the ability to shut the door not let these inferior teams continue to hang around, that isn't going to bode well for your opportunities to get seated in the tournament. And unfortunately, I believe, I, Curtis, this is just what I believe. I could be completely wrong, and I hope I'm wrong, because I want to see this team in the NCAA tournament. I love the guys on this team. I love Coach Hopkins. I love their style. And maybe they could do something. I don't know. I, I think that their style allows them to be dangerous. But if they don't beat Colorado... Uh, I, I have a hard time thinking that they're going to be a shoe in. I think I think Colorado is a a win that the Huskies can notch uh, in their belt tomorrow that puts them over the top. That really takes away any and all doubt because Colorado's playing some really good ball right now. They're twenty one and eleven. They took easy care of Oregon State today. Uh, I think tomorrow we're going to really find it out uh, just how good. Colorado is and, and really where the Huskies are right now is they've kind of limped to the finish line here in this regular season. The Huskies and Colorado Buffaloes, they tip off tomorrow, six o'clock from the T Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. It's on the Pac twelve network, so like four people will only be able to watch it. <laughs> which, you know, that's unfortunate. But uh yeah, that's tomorrow. So Husky fans definitely keep your eye out. For that one, when we return here on Seattle Sports Tonight, it's time for another edition of Big If True. This one comes to us from our very own Brock Heward. Is George Fant ready to challenge Jermaine Effetti for a starting spot on the Seahawks offensive line? We talk that next. Curtis Rogers and the quarterback, Jake Heaps, 710 ESPN Seattle. Live from the Alaska Airlines studio, this is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. Coors Light text line is there for you, 710-710, coming up in about 15 minutes or so. It's your turn to ask us anything on that Coors Light text line. Well, you can ask us anything. No guarantee we'll answer everything, but you can ask us Anything that's coming up 
in about 15 minutes. You can listen to our show via the 710 Sports app. It is driven by your Puget Sound Accurate Dealers. Jake, the Seahawks offensive line, finally having some continuity. Finally, let's go. some familiarity from year to year. 80% of the guys who started the majority of games last season are scheduled to be back for the Seahawks in 2019. But is that good enough? Is that something that we would want to see? Is that something that are, are the Seahawks okay with the four out of the five guys who are coming back? Or is there possibility that there's competition at one of those spots? Well, somebody here at 710 sure thinks so. So that brings us to tonight's Big If True. This can't be happening! Big. You can't be serious, man. If. Did, did he, he say, say that? that? True. History is going to change. The bottom line on the hottest opinions of the day. You cannot be serious! Tonight's Big If True comes to us from Brock Heward of Brock and Salk fame. He thinks George Fant, someone who... The national phantom. Exactly. Pledge allegiance. Uh, George Fant got a nice a nice little payday. He's making, what, over $3 million next season. Yep. Uh, but Brock thinks that with that added bonus in his paycheck... It's time for Fant to eye a starting position, and this is where he thinks Fant's best opportunity to crack that starting lineup could be. I think I think you make that a fairly open competition, knowing that George Fant can be your 300-pound jumbo tight end. That's in your back pocket, and that package isn't going anywhere. But I'd like to see him from day one of this OTA season, and maybe this $3 million raise here is, is also very clear to George. Hey, don't be satisfied with just being a jumbo tight end. You need to come in here and take Jermaine Effetti's job. One of you two could be a long-term play here at Tackle. That's the conversation I want to hear when they get back in the building in a month. Jermaine Effetti has been a punching bag for Seahawks fans since his rookie season. And we're coming up on year four of Jermaine Effetti's NFL career. Yeah. Was his production in 2018 satisfactory for you? Yeah, it was. I think... I think he had a huge jump uh, from his previous two seasons in year three, right? Uh, it, it was significant. And I think Mike Solari did an excellent job with him, and they put him in good spots in the run game and also the passing game. Now, here's the thing. When he was faced against an elite pass rusher, I'm talking about elite, he was put on skates, he was driven back, uh, he looked like the... Jermaine Effetti of the first two years. Um, and so that leads me to believe that Jermaine just simply isn't that going to be that premium uh, elite right tackle that, that ultimately is going to uh, be a consistent uh, protector of Russell Wilson. Now, I will say that he, if we can continue to see the jump from year three to year four that we saw from year two to year three, uh, that that would make me extremely happy. Uh, and and I, I, to Brock's point, though, you look at George Fant. You re- rewind it two years ago. Where was George Fant? George Fant was playing left tackle, and in the preseason, man, he looked the part. There were rave reviews about him through OTAs, training camp, and the preseason, and really looked like he was going to be this unbelievable story from this back basketball background to then being an all-pro type of player at left tackle 
Unfortunately, he gets a, a, a horrible ACL injury uh, that sidelines him, and then now you're at a, you're in a situation where uh, he loses a spot. They get Dwayne Brown to fill that, and 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 now uh, George is now the swing tackle going from left tackle to right tackle, which is which is harder than it sounds. Um, and I would love, like Brock said, to to come in and and compete at that right tackle position because. If Pete Carroll, if we know anything about his philosophy, there are big signs everywhere. Always compete. And if that's truly what your motto is and your philosophy, then you're not going to let Jermaine Effetti feel comfortable for a second. Finally, last year, there was some serious heat on Jermaine Effetti in terms of his job security. Now, he won the job, but he had to earn it. And I want to see that happen again. And I want to see George Fant really make a push because I like George Fant in the situation where I believe that he can be a his potential, I, or I guess his ceiling, I believe, is higher than Jermaine Effetti. Uh, but he's got to go out there and prove it. So we'll, we'll see how this unfolds. Obviously, George has a great role, an impactful role as that uh, jumbo tight end uh, in the run game. But you absolutely want his ambitions to be higher, and you want to fuel that and see if he can go win that job. Now, does fans raise that he's getting, which... Everybody will point to players' salaries as you know the reason why they should be or should not be playing. Does his raise increase the pressure on him to crack that starting lineup in, in 2019? And and also of George Fant and Jermaine Effetti, who is under more pressure uh, heading into the next season? Uh, I would say Jermaine Effetti is is has more pressure because. Uh, last year he was in he was in a spot where he could potentially get cut. This year he's in a spot where he has to earn a new contract, whether it's with the Seahawks or whether it's around uh, the other 31 NFL teams. So this is a this is a giant year for him uh, to show what he can do and and really solidify himself as a legitimate right tackle in this league. Um, and so I love the fact that you have two guys that you're raising the level of expectations for, and let's let's have them battle it out, and let's make it heated, and let's not keep it comfortable, right? Uh, you that brought out the best in Jermaine Effetti, and I think a motivated George Fant can only be good for the Seahawks. And the other reason why you see the investment in George Fant is from a point that I made earlier, in the sense that George is the left and right tackle replacement. Right, and that is a really tough position to be in. To at a drop of a hat, whether Dwayne Brown goes down, Jermaine Effetti goes down, he's got to be able to play both sides, and he brings that unique ability to do both. So, um, you know, I think that'll be great. And the sneaky reason, probably, why he got that raise was because his expanded role at the tight end position could be more. You know, he could be going out and running those stick routes and those. You know, uh, maybe putting him on the outside, Curtis, and letting him. Uh, get a mismatch on one of those linebackers for a fade ball. Yeah, George Fant, you know, in, increasing his usability, I think has definitely factored into why the Seahawks want to keep him around and, and rewarded him with an increase in pay as well. Uh, to me, I look at Fant, there's been a lot of promise, uh, you know, about him, and, and the Seahawks have talked him up. At every which way, saying, yeah, this is our guy. He was the starting left tackle, what was it, two seasons ago before he injured his knee. Whereas now it's starting to like, okay, where's this promise that the Seahawks have been promising us over the last couple of seasons? I'm ready to see it. 
And if this is a guy who is as good as the Seahawks have led us to believe, then it's kind of like, well, why is Jermaine Effetti still around? Like, if, if George Fant is supposed to be this, you know, wrecking ball of a of a right tackle, I, I don't know why Jermaine Effetti sticks well, around. Yeah, well, here's the difference. They two, they have different strengths. Uh, Jermaine Effetti's strength is in the run game, whereas George Fant's strength is in the passing game. George Fant can be an elite pass protector in this league, whereas Jermaine Effetti is more of a road grader. He's nasty. Uh, he's got a really uh, tough attitude, whereas you saw in his first two years he was constantly getting in fights with his teammates because he just couldn't keep his emotions in check, right? Um, and, and he grew and matured in that third year. Uh, and, and I want to see George mature not only in his pass-protecting ability, but also can he can he show that he can be that every-down tackle? Uh, you know, the left tackle position is on lockdown. The, Dwayne Brown is not giving that thing up. So if you're George Fant, you've got to put all your eggs in one basket in terms of, yes, I'm going to try and be proficient in both, but I need to get a master's degree at the right tackle position and we'll see how he, how seriously he takes that this offseason. That is tonight's Big If True. Coming up next, it is your opportunity to ask us anything. The Coors Light text line is there for you, 710-710. That's next. Curtis Rogers and Jake Eves, Seattle Sports at Night on 710 ESPN Seattle. Live from the Alaska Airlines studio, this is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacy Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle Sports at Night with you for just a few more moments here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Curtis Rogers and the quarterback, Jake Heaps, here with you on this Thursday night. We'll be back with you next week as uh, the Mariners, they get set to do battle against the A's in Tokyo. We'll carry those games live for you in the middle of the night. You want to know how I know that? Because I'll be here. I'll be in the building working those ones. I I mean, pulling the, the overnighter back-to-back. That's right. Yeah, got to love it. Got to love it. <laughs> do you, though? <laughs> do I? Mm, that's a good question. We could use some good questions on the Coors Light text line because it's your turn to ask us anything Jake, first question comes to us from the 206. Okay. What piques your interest more, free food or free t-shirt? Ooh. That's a good one. Honestly, free food anytime, anyplace. A free Mm -hmm. t-shirt, like, yeah, I got you. I mean, usually when you're getting a free t-shirt, they're they're not always very in style. Yeah, it's usually like whatever event it is that's going on, and it's got all the sponsors on the back. I will say this, though. If it's a free T-shirt that says staff on it, oh, I am all about that. Because then you're walking around really? walking around with a T-shirt that says staff on the back. People come up to you, are you staff? Like, are you on staff? Like, I actually am. It, yeah. it, it levels your uh, Even importance not, level. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, makes you feel like a big deal. But, hey, anytime that you're willing to offer me free food, I'll probably be there. Yeah. Yeah, free food. I hope to never reach... An income level where I turn down free food or free T-shirt, like I've I've seen it where people are like, oh, no, that's okay." Yeah. And it's like, "What? <laughs> what do you mean? Like we got free pizza out here? Like we got free right. snacks? We got candy? Like what do you mean you're turning it down?" I can't mess with those kind of. It's people. Like they're too I'm cool sorry. for us. Well, come on, now. absolutely. Yeah. So I, I'm going free food. 
on the off chance that the t-shirt doesn't say staff. If it says staff, I may just take that over free food. <laughs> what else we got coming to us on the Coors Light text line 710-710. We've got, uh, let's see here, from the 360 and your guys' complete honest opinion, what should the Mariners do with Felix Hernandez? I cut him. Uh, I don't see the need to throw him out there. Once that May 15th deadline hits for Justice Sheffield to come on up, I think that's it for Felix Hernandez. I, I'm right there with you, Curtis. I think at this point, uh, what are we really doing here on both sides, right? I mean, Felix, at this point, he's not part of the new culture change, the the direction and where they want to go. You can see through spring training and through some of the interviews, uh, the contention that is there uh, and, and the disrespect that he feels, even though he is making, what, Curtis, $28 million. $28 million. So whether I'm playing or whether I'm – sitting this year out uh I, I don't really care and honestly for him and in him prolonging his career uh maybe not playing a full season could be the best thing for him yeah and i mean the money that the mariners are paying him that's a sunk cost already that they know they're going to have to pay every single penny of that so what does it matter to them if he's on the team or not like if, if he gets released they're still paying him if he's here they're still paying him we saw it last year. The team would have been much better off if he weren't on the roster. Uh, I, I would be more than all right with letting Felix Hernandez go. Yeah, I mean, not not the play necessarily is what I'm concerned about because this year doesn't matter. Obviously, that's something you want. But more so than anything is the culture, right? You are trying to establish a winning culture, a winning, a winning dynamic, and also a a locker room that isn't contentious, where guys are building chemistry with one another and simply Felix is kind of the odd man out in this situation. It's sad, it's unfortunate, but it's just reality. Text from the 253, ask us anything. They say, hey, do you guys think Josh Rosen would be a good fit with the New York Giants? We kind of know that the Cardinals are moving on from him. What do you think about Rosen and the Giants? Well, for Rosen, it might just be one of those situations where I I think it could eventually be a good situation. Just it's hard for any quarterback to want to go there because you don't understand the direction of where the New York Giants are trying to go. Uh, it's it's confusing. They are Obviously, when they had OBJ, they had Saquon Barkley, they had a ton of talent. Uh, and, uh, this New York Giants offense was very appealing. So um, I think Rosen, barring the direction, could be a nice fit for, fit for the New York Giants. Uh, text from the 206, will the Seahawks get a real fullback to steamroll a path of carnage ahead of Chris Carson and Rashad Penny? 206, I love your mindset here. Love the attitude. <laughs> Where is the throwback of Max Strong and Mike Robb and my fav- one of my favorite players of all time, Mike Allstott? Mm. Man, that guy was awesome Rumbling, bumbling, stumbling. No, oh, he was an enforcer. A guy that could run the football and punish you, but was an amazing fullback as well. Where are those guys, Curtis? There are like nobody out there that can do that. Yeah, the, the fullback that I think everybody points to now in the NFL is that Kyle Jisic from the 49ers. Outside of him, yeah. it is a it's a dying breed for sure. Uh, Mike Robb, the last great Seahawks fullback. Trey Madden sort of played that role a year ago, but they didn't use him in a whole no, lot. They didn't. I mean, they've had this experiment with Trey Madden where 
you know, he was a former running back at SC, trying to convert him to fullback. You know, maybe he could be a little different in terms of his skill set. It just hasn't panned out. He got better as a blocker, but not dominant enough where it's like you want to keep him in the game and and use the fullback uh, like you did with Mike Robb. Well, that is going to do it for us here on this Thursday night. Shout out to you guys for tuning in. If you missed our interview with KJ Wright, check it out on the podcast page, 710sports.com. Click on podcast. You can also subscribe to the Seattle Sports Night podcast on iTunes or on Google Play. That's going to do it for us here tonight. We are back with you on Monday. For the quarterback, Jake Heaps, I am Curtis Rogers. That's going to do it for us. See you then on 710 ESPN Seattle.